If you guys haven't noticed, we're here with uh, Jose Shorty Torre. He's got a big fight coming up, rematch with uh, our boy Santella and Brave. And, you know, I want to touch on a few other things before we get back into the fights. You know, I saw your chat with Olivia. I watched the whole thing. Uh, and, you know, I feel like you're really, really passionate about, you know, not only just, you know, mental health issues in general, but, you know, it comes into your, your whole aspect of dealing with people so closely. But it sounds like you're really kind of approaching this with the idea of helping people. Yeah, man. You know, it's, it's crazy because you don't you don't care about stuff until it happens to you and then you're like oh that's why it was such a big deal to somebody else or this or that for me it's not that i never wanted to help people mentally is that mm -hmm. never went through any like mental trauma and then mm -hmm. before i entered the ufc i was going through a lot of mental stuff of like neglect in a sense oh the ufc doesn't want me i'm doing all these things and the ufc doesn't care and then when i make it to the ufc i get cut like that and it's like the hell so it's very demoralizing and then just a lot of things behind the scenes from, for me, you know, losing my engagement, um, losing, you know, possible fans following, you know, I had that whole Tyson thing where it's like, or not Tyson, um, Sergio Martinez, where he's mm -hmm. like, man, I'd win. I'd have thousands of missed phone calls and I lose, I have three missed phone calls and two of them were my mother, you know? So it's like, mm -hmm. that's kind of was what I was facing and same thing like money problems. I, when my father passed away, I just spent a crap ton of money just being dumb, obnoxious and, and, you know, doing whatever, almost putting myself into, into debt and bankruptcy type of thing. So, you know, when you, you look at it in hindsight, given I, I went to a therapist and that, that wasn't just a therapist for me, should I say, but I had mental coaches. I had a lot of people and there was just a lot of things I needed to do. And I was kind of shelling myself up. And again, I'm a very big extrovert. I started to realize certain things about myself, especially during COVID of like, man, I need people around me. I need someone to talk to. I need this. I need that. And I need to figure out ways to do it alone just in case like I am doing right now. Um, and it's, it's been a journey. It is taking a small toll on me, but a few more days, you know, I'll fight and, and get back to it, get back to the real world for me. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the mental health is, is a huge thing because a lot of people, especially men, you don't realize it. You know, I have Dean Thomas at the house where he did this 200 mile plus bike ride, literally about men's mental health. And I'm like, I don't even know you cared about that. You know, it's, mm -hmm. he's just not as, as vocal, should I say as I am, but he cares about it. If not that much more. And the little things he says to me, sometimes you're just like, damn, that was, that was exactly what I needed. Huh? That's, that was really weird. You know? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, sometimes it's just those certain people in your life that really help you out and, you know, unex unexpectedly. But when it comes to even just my foundation, help people mm -hmm. in general, you know, I, I had an opportunity. My father and brother never did. And I do believe they were both way more athletically talented. Than I. I mean, my brother's died twice. He's had two near fatal injuries and has been resuscitated twice and is handicapped in, in multiple different places. And he's still more athletically talented than I am. And he's out of shape, which pisses me off. Like, it's, it's like he can jump higher. He can run faster. You know, like it, it's one of those things that just imagine if him or even some of the high school jocks back in your day that, you know, in the sense didn't make it out. Just imagine if they had the opportunity, they would be mm -hmm. phenomenal superstars in certain areas, but no one, no one pushed them or whatever the case may be. I had the chance to go to a gym and the gym gave me, you know, mentorship gave me father figures gave me positive reinforcement if my family had that maybe it'd be in a different place you know so for me looking as far as i got and especially coming up you know not having money in the sports like dude i had the same gear for the first five years my whole mm -hmm. amateur career was the same thing i was eventually punching people with just my fists you know even though i had the glove on there was no padding anymore i was mm -hmm. taping my gear every single day so being able to help people with gear, being able to sponsor fighters, being able to teach them social media and this and that, and just help people in general when it comes to seminars and this, that my foundation takes care of all of it. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the gym 100% saved my life. And I say that in multiple aspects, maybe just maybe it might save someone else's. And it's not saying they're going to be all professional fighters It's saying, mm -hmm. no, I'm giving you a chance to be around positive people that might motivate you to do something. Without martial arts, I wanted to finish high school. I wouldn't even bothered to go to college. I wouldn't even had the chance to get the full ride that I did because mm -hmm. of the skills I acquired through MMA. So mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of different opportunities with that. And it's uh, I'm hoping it helps someone and, and changes their lives. And it's a paid for program. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause I feel like we didn't really bring up the name, but you kind of gave us a 
great rundown of what the Team Shorty Foundation is really all about. If you haven't checked it out, you know, hit up his website. He's got a great um, kind of write-up over there that you can kind of learn about it, donate. And, you know, even feeding off of what you talked about with her, this is where I wanted to take the conversation because I'm actually a, a chef more, like that's my, you know, bread and butter, if you will, and everything else is passion. You know, your relationship with food, that's what I want to talk about right now. I, I'm really, because I experienced the exact same things and I have a wife that kind of beats me off. It's like, it's not only about anorexia and bulimia, you have an eating disorder, you know? And it's like one of those things where you really find out that relationship with food can really affect mental, physical, a whole bunch of things. You know, it's, it's crazy. So my major was kinesiology and I wrote a lot of papers on like motor right. learning, kinesiology, weight cuts and weight cuts were my specialty. Not because I was good at it. Cause in college, mm -hmm. dude, I sucked. I was really, really bad. I looked up YouTube videos. I was watching like Mike Dolce stuff when, you know, he was really, really popular. <laughs> and I was doing everything wrong. I was just seeing what I was watching on YouTube and going, oh, it, well, it's the same thing. And it's like, no, dude, making way for MMA is way different than making way for wrestling because in wrestling in college, you have one hour to make weight if it's a duel. So you, you make weight and then an hour later you compete. And then for tournaments, it's two hours. So compared to MMA with a 24-hour gap, could I make weight? Yes. But there's a reason for it. In 1997, three wrestlers died. I think there were like one was 18 and two were 19. And those kids being prideful athletes, as, as I am myself, we they put on the sauna top and bottom, decided to go into uh, the sauna room with a bike or a treadmill or some type of workout machine, and then just overheated themselves. And two of them died from heat stroke. And I think one died from a heart attack. And it's like, they're 18 and 19 years old trying to make this just to make the weight. You don't know if they had a full ride. You don't know if they're paying for school fully. You don't know what was really behind the scenes, but they had at the time a 24 hour gap for weigh-ins. So they're like, I have a whole day to recover. And in a sense, they killed themselves literally to make the weight. And, and that's when, you know, the NCAA decided to change the rules. And now pretty much all of wrestling follows the same thing. So I was doing this every single week, cutting 20 pounds every week. And scientifically, which is hilarious, us wrestlers in general, we end up being fatter at the end of the season than what we did in the beginning of the season when we came in out of shape. Preseason is freaking horrible, but, you know, eventually it gets us in shape. Now we, we do these uh, um, uh, hydration tests and fat tests. And I, I mean, there's always ways to cheat, which I cheated in college. You know, you, you, you always find a way to get through the, with those tests, but then you make weight. And let's say you compete Friday and Saturday, if, if that's a thing. And then Sunday, you have all day to eat and relax. For us, why do people gain so much weight in diets? Because they lose all the weight in their 30-day challenge. They restrict themselves from everything they really want. And then after those 30 days, they're like, yo, I'm going to go have a bowl of cereal and this and that. And then devour it. And literally two days, they've gained all their weight back. And now they just keep on doing it. It was the same thing in wrestling for six months. You cut weight for five days straight, compete the sixth day. And then the seventh day you literally feasted, you know, it was, it was like, you know, Jesus resting on Sunday. You know, we devoured everything on Sunday and we literally would go, Hey guys, we're going to the buffet. The only problem is it would be up and down, up and down, up and down. And then by the end of the season, once the season was over, it's like Sunday devour. Oh, Monday, we have no practice. Let's go back to the buffet. And they just keep on doing it. And it becomes a habit. Now, we're fat, chunky, and out of shape again. And now we weigh more than we, what we originally did. So it's it's really hard to figure out this whole weight cut thing. For me, I, I've been a fan of, of obviously not cutting weight, but I'm, I'm also a little thicker, but I'm also very small. So it's like there's reasons why I still cut down to 57, uh, 57 kilograms or 125 pounds. And it's um, it sucks even now. Like, I mean, I'm skinny. I'm much skinnier than what you saw mm -hmm. me last time. And I'm already in, I mean, I've been in the thirties for about two weeks now mm -hmm. since I got here. I was like, Oh, I have nothing else to do, but it's, it's a struggle, man. Even just to maintain thirties for me. Um, it, I wouldn't say it's painful, but it makes it less fun. And eventually you're just like, dude, I don't want to do this anymore. And that was my biggest reason why I lost to Alex Perez. I did two back-to-back -back weight cuts, 26 pounds and 28 pounds in a matter of like 40 something days. That's like 54 pounds and you know, 50 days for a flyway is ridiculous. And by the time I got there, it didn't matter if I was fighting at the Staples Center. It didn't matter if my my you know good friend TJ Dillashaw was the main event. Cub Swanson was on the card too, and, and my teammates. 
it was a fact that dude, I just wanted to go home. Like I was mm-hmm. so mentally broken. I was like, I just want to go in there, get a paycheck, go home. I don't care what happens. I just want to go. And I got TKO'd because of it. And then eventually I got cut because of it. So the weight cut doesn't just affect you physically. It hinders you mentally. And that's easily the hardest thing about the sport is the weight cut. So, you know, being, being a guy who is not an entrepreneur when it comes to cooking, but loves cooking and enjoys fat food. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard, man. It really is hard. Like even right now, I'm I'm writing notes to myself saying I need to stay in shape after this fight. I need to stay in shape after this fight because yes, I know I'm gonna go home. I, yes, I know I'm gonna devour food here and there, but I need to maintain 145. Mm-hmm. And then out of nowhere, I always get up to like 160 something, and then I'm like, what the hell happened? Like I literally just said this, and then I came in. And I'm like, well, I guess this is where I'm at. Well, my natural weight is 155. It's just now I need to actually work to maintain 145 and I have to work extremely hard just to make 125. So it's, it's a, it's a very difficult mindset struggle and career, but again, I I do it for a reason. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have said any better. And would you say even with that kin background, do you, do you notice or feel, or even have any like knowledge of like the metabolic aspect, like does your metabolism get really affected maybe in that year span, which is why you're seeing such drastic changes. Cause it, it sounds pretty crazy that, that switch keeps happening, but it also makes a lot of sense based on, you know, calories in calories out the amount you're taking in probably when you're having fun and binge eating, you know, I know all about that life too. It's, it's really hard on the body because, you know, when your Mm -hmm. body fluctuates so much, man, I remember, I know it was the last fight for sure. And the fight before that was even worse. So I remember when I, when I had to back out of the Marcella Durr fight, and I was supposed to fight for the world championship before this whole tournament thing, which again, I had the easy way in. And my, my father passed away. I, I tried to fight and just, I mentally collapsed before then. I just couldn't do it. And, you know, the weight cut was there. Everything was fine. I just mentally, I was like, I'm not letting this happen again. You know, so especially for world title. So I remember after canceling the fight, I'm like, all right, I get to enjoy myself. Just give me water. I'm not really in the mood to eat. And then even with the water, I was now, I was like, okay, well, I can have some bread. All right, cool. Now I can have some tortillas or you know naan or whatever whatever is here, hummus and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And out of nowhere, my my body because I wasn't having any salt, you know, would hold on to everything, especially in a diet. Mm-hmm. When your body craves stuff, it's gonna hold on to it. And so I was holding on to all this weight, and then I didn't leave for another two days because I still watched the fights and all that stuff. And so I was devouring all this food, not even knowing I'm devouring it. I'm just eating like it's a regular meal to me. And I get on the plane to go to my nutritionist house to stay there for a couple of days. And I almost couldn't walk. And my nutritionist is like, what's wrong? I was like, my calves and my thighs were like pulsating. Like I felt there's, there's two veins and I, I don't know the name of the veins. There was like two veins pumping like by my groin. And it just felt like I couldn't walk. Like it was one of those things where I'm like, man, do I, do I have diabetes or something? Like, I feel like mm-hmm. I need to be wearing diabetic airplane socks or something because my blood flow isn't going. And I know the flight holds water, but dude, by the time I got back, I was like wobbling and I'm, I'm already 155, 160. And I'm like, I haven't eaten anywhere to the degree that I usually do. And, and this is ridiculous. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like I'm 50, 60 years old and I want to like, I want to kill myself because of how I'm <laughs> feeling right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that's the scary thing, even with this, like I told people that I wanted to stay in Bahrain for an extra week, uh, to enjoy myself and fly my brother in. And, mm-hmm. and I, I was, all I do is watch food porn when I cut weight, you know? So I'm just like, this, all I want to do is I want to eat this. I want to eat that. And that, that's, I'm still going to do it because I want to enjoy life. But it's the fact of, man, I, I need to, I need to have at least portion control and manage myself to a certain extent because it sucks. But when you were talking about like kin, man, you know, yeah, I know every family's different. I think Latinos, for some reason, anytime we any type of carb, it's just like, pfft. but <laughs> it's the fact of even like my, my family upbringing. You know, I, I feel like every grandmother would be like, you got to finish your food, do it for Africa. And it's like, yeah, I'm doing it for <laughs> Africa. You know, you're eating all this, you know, gigantic food and, and, and stuff in your face. My family knows my eating habits. And even though I come home with the mindset of like, oh, no, I'm not going to eat this, I'm not going to eat that. They make it for me. And my problem is not the food. My problem is the food in front of me, you know? Mm-hmm. So if there's still food in front of me, it's literally been instilled in me that I have to finish it. Like, dude, the hotel. So the hotel gives me three meals a day. 
and they have, you know, the checklist of what I could have. But every once in a while, they'll kind of surprise me and give me more. Now, the two things I have to do is either I eat it and go, damn, and I have to work that much harder. Or I go, well, I can't have it, but they already gave it to me. So they're not going to give it to somebody else. I'm just going to save it. And if I have to use it for later, awesome. But now, now I feel like I'm throwing away all this food. And mm-hmm. Now I'm letting the people Africa down. Like, no, this is not what I want to do. So it it sucks. Like right now I have food that I'm staring at that I can easily eat. It's all healthy. I just can't have it because of the portions right now that I can, mm-hmm. now I'm limited to have. And I'm like, I just feel bad for wasting this food, but it's just, it's just the upbringing. But I already have people at home telling me like, Oh, when you get back, we'll go eat this and go eat that. I was like, I just feel like a kid. Like, yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> Uh, I know exactly. It's exactly how it's my mom. She's actually not allowed to bring certain things to our house at all anymore because of that same reason. If there's a rice plate of certain things, it's all gone within a night. So totally get it. And it's all about portion control. I think you said it best, right? Even if you enjoy something, eating a certain amount of it is probably the healthier option than the whole portion in front of you kind of thing. So I totally get that part. And I mean, I think that's going to be, do you think that's, do you see that as an everyday struggle for a long time? Do you see you overcoming it? Because, you know, if you're watching food porn regularly, I feel like that relationship is kind of lifelong, you know? It, it, it really is. I, and <coughs> all honesty, I don't know if I'll ever overcome it because I remember starting this career with nutrition, very motivated. And I listened to everything. And even then I was, it was kind of like, the 21 step habit thing or 21 day habit thing, or like after you do it for so many days, just because of habit and it's normal to you. And I remember even having that, I love chips. I love, you know, Mexican style chips. And I remember having some chips my nephew was having. I was like, cool. I had like three, four and I tasted how much, like you can taste after so long, how much salt is in it, the sugar, all that stuff. And I'm like, Ooh, this is good, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to put this down. And I, it, everything was great. I remember making 135 at the time super 61 kilograms super mm-hmm. easy and i'm like wow why why is this like this was the easiest thing i've ever done and then the next fight i was like oh well, i can kind of relax a little bit since it was super easy and then the next fight it was pretty much the same thing then eventually i had to cut down the fly weight and i remember doing it the first time and killing myself in a sense to do it like given that we had a system and everything was fine but I remember, and I said this a couple of days ago, because I, I did get beat up a couple of days ago by a guy I was beating up. I, I ended up, I remember being at Jackson Wink and ch- training with one of the guys there. And I remember beating him up every single day, just not having a problem. Like it was just honestly more of a skill thing. And then as I slowly started to cut weight, my body slowly started to get more and more fatigued, you know, cause I'm taking out carbs and taking out all the energy that I really need. And I'm, my body's only built now for like short bursts. And this guy just, I was like two weeks out from my fight. So this was my last barn day. This guy wrecked me. Like all the like beatings that I gave him, it just all culminated into one. And he wrecked me. And I, like, he wasn't a jerk and like, oh, I beat him up today. Like he understood. But I remember being on the bike after pretty much crying, like, oh, I'm making my flyweight debut. I'm going to fight like this. I don't want to do this, do that. And my nutritionist like, it's, it's okay. It's just a weight cut talk and it's mental. Like, yeah, you're exhausted. Your body's going to be exhausted. You probably shouldn't even have sparred today, but you pushed it and that, that's just your mental pride in there. But, you know, you need to just have a, a positive mindset going into your fight because right after you make weight, you'll be able to hydrate. You'll be fine. And in the fight, I was fine. But I remember even thinking going into that second round, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a little more tired than I usually am, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then eventually, like, my body got used to it and, and making 25. Once I make weight, a full-day recovery, there's no problem. But, nice. man, for me at least, I've noticed compared to all the athletes that I've trained with, I'm one of the only ones that focuses on weight cut. And that's a bad thing because you shouldn't. You look at Calvin Gaslam, which is, like, my big twin. <laughs> that guy bumped up a weight class for a reason because he doesn't want to worry about a weight cut. And he competes beautifully. Yeah, is he out of shape or a little more out of shape, should I say, compared to the other guys? Is he flabby when he goes in there? Yeah, sure. And is he smaller? Definitely. But, man, that guy puts in work. And it's one of those things where I look at it all the time. And my, my whole team still agrees that I should stay at 25, so I'm kind of outvoted here. But inevitably, honestly, if, if everything goes well and I win this belt, um, you know, I'm more than likely bump up to 35 and just stay there because – 
I don't care how small I am and I get it. I should be a, a flyweight. It's just, I want to enjoy life. And especially if I'm going to do this career for possibly 10 more years, I am 100% not doing it a flyweight, you know? Mm-hmm. And if I do, I have to make a serious life change, a lifestyle change just to be able to be somewhat happy doing it. Because even, even my best weight cuts, I think when I fought uh, Shantz until the last time, mm-hmm. my workouts were three to four hours, you know, and, and they weren't hard. It was just, my body was so tired. So there's no reason to do like, let's say I'm running a 5k. There's no reason to run a 5k in 30 minutes. I was running a 5k in like 45, 50 minutes, just super slow. So I keep sweating. Then I get on a bike for an hour. Then I shadow box about like 30, 40 minutes with some uh, weight to my hands. Then I jump in a sauna for an hour and jump in the bath for an hour intervals back and forth. And it's like, that was one workout. And I had to do that almost twice a day for seven straight days. Like, that's ridiculous. And I made weight. I made weight pretty easily to that sense. But it's like, you look at it, is it easily if I'm working out four hours a day or excuse me, four hours for one session? No, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, we heard Justin James tell us a very similar story. I mean, to make his short notice fight with Gavin Tucker, it got to the point where he was legitimately just mentally broken, spitting into a cup, trying to like mm-hmm. just get as much liquid out of his body. So, you know, that leads me into kind of, uh, do you see things changing? I mean, there's definitely advocates for really restructuring, removing whatever the case may be, this whole idea of weight cuts, right? Because you, you use one, of, I think, one of the best examples on the planet in Kelvin Gastelum, because, yeah, to me, even if you look at the losses, I mean, technical, like the Jack Hermanson fight was a very technical loss. It's not like he can't size up things like that, you know, and he looks yeah. healthy in there, all that kind of stuff. So do you see this being something that fighters start to do or it becomes a universal change? You know, it's funny is I was talking to Gaslam's coach uh, a few, I think about a month ago, and he's just like, yeah, you know, he's going to stay at 85. And once he wins the belt, then he'll go down to 170. But we want him to focus on one thing right now. We don't want him to focus on this weight cut and this and that. Like mm-hmm. he's competing top five at 185. Mm-hmm. And then once he gets that, that mental power, that strive back in him, then he can go back down to 170. But until then, let him focus on one thing, and that's fighting. And then eventually, he can focus on the weight cut and managing his career a little better. And this and that. It's like, damn, that's that's a really good way to put it. And it's it's really hypocritical because my my re- college wrestling coach is a jerk. Like him and I just didn't see eye to eye. And he's the only reason I stayed at one twenty five. I wanted to wrestle thirty three, but just never let me. And I remember him saying, "He goes, Shorty, if you worry about the weight cut, then you're not worried about wrestling. You're going to lose every match." And I didn't come, you know, close to losing every match. I had a very positive record, but I can never win first place because I was so exhausted going into these uh, two-day tournaments. You know, when you make make it past the first day, you have to make weight again the second day. And I just couldn't compete after the first period. And I would get beat up because of it, even though I was technically better in the person. I just, I was too exhausted and too mentally broken. It's like, mm-hmm. that shouldn't be happening. You know, even when I All-American in college, it's like, I took fourth place because I just wanted to go home. You know, and I, I lost the guy who took second by, by two points. And it's like, man, I could have beat him the whole time. I played it safe the entire, the t- entire way through because I was just too, too exhausted and didn't want to get panned and this and that. So it is a mindset when it comes to these guys making weight, you know, everyone's like, Oh, and there needs to be more weight classes, which I do believe there should be. Um, but they're like, Oh, there should be more weight classes. Oh, there should be a one FC type of weight cutting, um, um, you know, mm-hmm. system and this and that. I think both would be great. The only problem is there's always going to be someone to do a drastic weight cut. But then you look at some of these fighters who bumped up and competed extremely well. I mean, Calvin Gaslam is one of them. Um, Anthony Johnson is a, is a huge one. Um, he's seen you know, you so many at, weight classes. Like, yeah, know, he's, he's been able to do a lot of weight cuts. Hell, even DC going up to heavyweight. You know, John so it's, Jones it's probably going up too. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's one of those things that it is really a mindset. Um, and it's, it's a bad stigmatism that we all have as fighters that we want to be the bigger guy at the smaller weight class, but dude, we all weigh the same. Look Mm -hmm. at DJ, look at Demetrius Johnson. Is he ever been the bigger fighter in any of his fights? Mm -hmm. No, but he's dominated every fight because that's his natural, excuse me. That's his natural weight class. Mm -hmm. You know, like he could probably, if he really tried, he could probably make, you know, straw weight. That was the same mm-hmm. thing with Jared Brooks, my last opponent. It's like he can make straw weight. He has made straw weight, but flyweight was mm-hmm. the smallest the UFC offered at the time. And 
that's just what he fought, but he felt good because of it. And he could take last minute fights for me, man, taking those last minute fights. I've been hurt trying to make weight. I've been hurt trying to cut. I've been really injured trying to do dumb things just to, just impress someone that, that, you know, I was expendable for anyway. So it's one of those things that there's a bad stigmatism that we want to be bigger in the weight class and we have to do this and do that. And especially with the diet, just the mindset in general, when you take out stuff from your life, eventually you're going to want it back, you know, and you're going to really, really want it when you can have it. And for us, it's food, you know? So it's one of those things that uh, it, it becomes very mental with, with not breaking. And then when you're not breaking with that, it's like the mental aspect of still being motivated to do stuff and watching your friends eat this, watch your friends do that. It's like mm-hmm. there, there, there are different aspects to it. And everyone reacts to it very, very differently. Um, some people say, Oh, I'm making weights easy. Uh, you, your body's different, you know, and everyone's body's different. You know, some people were like, I was born big bone. Yeah. It might not be a thing, but you're born probably a little thicker than everybody else because of your family's genetics, you know? So, and food reacts to you very, very differently than maybe it does me or other people. So, um, there should be a system. I don't know what, but there has to be something implemented to where it forces us fighters to stay at a certain weight class. And I think one of C is doing a great thing right, right now with, you know, having these flyweights technically be bantamweights, you know, they're just labeled as flyweight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it, 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 it's kind of like an old stigma, right? It's this entire concept. I think you touched on it as well. Just being the bigger fighter at smaller weight classes, but we can be completely honest here and also say we've seen great examples of where the opposite has kind of happened. You know, even I know you're much younger than me, but there's a couple, you know, tough examples coming off the ultimate fighter where people raved about, you know, being this really tall, long guy to be able to go into, you know, certain divisions. But unfortunately, you know, just length and size isn't everything. You know, I think that's kind of like the big point there, too. Yeah, I mean, you look at I mean, I know some fighters that are phenomenal at cutting weight, like they can lose weight in a heartbeat without ever really trying. Like I know. Cup Swanson, at least from my experiences, it might be changed, but like Cup Swanson cuts 12 pounds in like four hours, you know, and he does that, you know, weigh in day. He's like, yeah, I just kind of wait, do my water loading and then wake up at five in the morning, just do all these hot baths and I'm out of weight. Dude, you know how many hot baths you got to take to lose? Like for me, on average, if I take a 30 minute bath, I'll lose about two pounds. Mm-hmm. That means I have to take a minimum, a minimum of six baths. Mm-hmm. these baths suck. They're not fun to do, you know, mm-hmm. but it's for him four hours, you know, some guys, I, again, I've, I've done everything bad. I've taken laxative. I spat, I've worn sauna suits. I've done sauna steam rooms, um, banyas. I've done, you know, a lot of, a lot of dumb things. Hell, I tried to make myself vomit. I just couldn't do it. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that, um, us fighters do they are extremely unhealthy. And I can tell you from personal experience, my digestive system is crap now because of the stuff I've put it through. Now that anytime I eat, you know, I mean, I grew up eating spicy food, but now I eat spicy food. It's like, I'm going to be sick all the next night or whatever the case may be. I eat some bread. My body's like, oh, it's bread. And it's not going to let it go. Not a norm. It's like same thing with rice, tortillas and all these different things. So it's like my body's reacting much differently. Now being 28, given I'm not old in any aspect, but it's like, mm. I feel my body going, Oh damn, you're, you're, you're getting there. You know, it's like, I'm not 20 years old anymore. I'm not 21 years old where my mm. metabolism super fast. I remember being the jerk in high school going to other wrestlers. Like you're going to finish your milk. You're going you're gonna to finish your milk. I'll take your milk. Oh, you're going to finish that lunch. And I just devour all their lunch. Cause I was going to make weight. Cause my metabolism was on fire, mm-hmm. but now it's like, you know, the flash got old and it's like, all right, I'm, I'm good, buddy. You know? And I just, I'm getting super fat, you know, very, very easily off the smallest things. So it's, it's, it really is a struggle, but everyone's different. Everyone has to find their, uh, their niche in a sense. Yeah. And I think it's part of the battle, right? You can hear some of the UFC fighters who've never experienced that talk about the performance in stoop. That's also not like your own example. You brought up blue nutrition. So I've even noticed you kind of promote some of the healthier products that you kind of use throughout the weight cut to just keep, you know, keep the system at least fed in some way. So, I mean, there's, would you say that you're kind of exploring those more, I guess, natural or substitutes, things like that to really kind of elevate that process for yourself? You know, it's crazy. I feel my, my friend, uh, my friend Kustrom used to tell me in college, he was, I was a, I was an RA in my university. So, you know, I was like the landlord to all the college. Yeah. Residents. Yeah. And 
I was I was like Eric Foreman from that 70s show. Like my my house was everyone's house. So I'd come into my room, people around my couch and playing my video games. I'm like, dude, I've been here for like five hours. How long have you guys been here? Like everyone was always there. And I was the only one who had a car. So I was like, all right, guys, let's go to Walmart. Let's go grocery shopping. And guys in general know what we want. And so we just go in, pick and grab and leave. And my friend Custom comes up to me. He goes, dude, you're an adult. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm only like four years older than you. It's not a crazy gap. He goes, no, look at you. Look at you right now. At the time I had like two cans of whatever. And I'm like reading the label to see which one had like less salt, had less carbs. He goes, you're an adult. You're adult shopping. He goes, I've never shopped for vegetables and what's organic and this and that. Now, which reminds me now, I'm like, you know, I go through my Instagram and food porn and my Facebook. And every once in a while, there's a sponsored post that comes in between the stories. I see nothing but like keto stuff, low fat stuff come up, this and that, because it's all I'm looking for is like, oh, can I get, you know, keto like tortillas or can I get keto like bread or rice or this or that or what's healthy protein bars? And it's like, I'm always trying to find a, a like different safe way to cheat, but it's, it's, I just feel like an adult now because that's all I'm doing is trying to find alternatives to foods. I really, really love, but in a sense, they're technically never going to be, be the foods I really, really want, you know, mm-hmm. but it's also, especially in the States, um, amongst other countries as well is we grow up eating popsicles, chips, you know, burgers, pizza, and that's just everyday cheap food. And, and expensive food is healthy food. You know, it's, it's all systematic, which really, really sucks. But, you know, it makes it harder when it comes to a weight cut, especially if you're not, you know, in a big promotion making money. Dude, healthy food takes, takes some money, takes some change, you know. So it's, um, it's really hard, but it's, it's trying to find what's healthiest for me while still trying to, um, trying to, you know, still have what I really want to have. And it's, it's trying to manipulate the system for, for a certain period of time, which is just, it's really hard. I don't know what's going to happen with my career when it comes to cutting weight, but mm-hmm. I'm trying my best to, in a sense, have a much more positive atmosphere and mindset with it because I, I think, I think 70% of the battle when it comes to fighting in general is, is mental, especially the weight cut. The weight cut is easily the hardest part about the sport for me. And that's the problem when I say that is that it should not be that the hardest mm-hmm. part about the sport should be the sport not the outside stuff that I need to do just to be in the sport. For sure. And I mean, it sounds like you're attacking all the port levels, you know, being around the firm, people that, you know, you care about and that care about you in all the right ways and take care of you, that kind of stuff. And even attacking things like nutrition and all those kinds of things, things where you can see, you know, especially back in the day, people were not even caring about, but now to be that, you know, next level athlete and just be, you know, a healthy person, really, I think it's starting to really play a part. And like, you kind of talked about plan with the career now. So we're talking about, you know, potential title shot at 125, but plan with brave you know let's go blank slate talk to us about the flyweight tournament that's going to be coming up say it's the american bubble if we have to promote the fights people that might not pay attention to say you know we might you know we'll, we'll talk to us about it you know this this tournament's been like two years in the making after mm-hmm. i backed out of my fight which again was immediately for the title so i had the easy runs of the title mm-hmm. and then you know Brave started to sign all these flyweights being released from different promotions because that's just what promotions you're doing especially ufc and so they're like, you know what, man, we got a lot of really good guys who have higher accolades than, than Shorty. We love Shorty. We want to help him. But we got these guys that are technically a little more superior than him when it comes to resume wise. Let's get these all, all, all these fights together. You know, Bellator does it. Ryzen does it. 1FC does these tournaments. Let's make a tournament. Let's make a Grand Prix. So they, they made an eight-man tournament. And I'm not too familiar with the other side because I know there was uh, two opponents that were in that just, you know, didn't make it through. But it's an eight-man tournament. It was myself versus Sean Tantella, which sadly we went to a draw, and we're now having that rematch. On the other side was Dustin Ortiz versus Marcella Durr, but then COVID hit. He ended up tearing his ACL, and so they were trying to scramble to find a new opponent for Dustin Ortiz, which Dustin Ortiz, we don't know, was number three in the UFC before he was released on a three-fight win streak and lost to Joseph Benavidez. So they had a, a like a rat-tail match to see who was going to fill that spot. And you have Ali Bagutinov, who is a phenomenal Russian fighter, uh, who was a title contender in the UFC. Um, I think he got popped for steroids, and that's why he was released. But he's an extremely strong fighter, man. 
And so him versus Dustin is easily my favorite fight to watch in the tournament. So I'm excited about why I want to mm-hmm. stay until April 1st, not just to possibly do the face off. Hopefully everything works well and I win. But the fact of I'm just a fan, I grew up watching them, you know? So and on the other side, you have Zach Mikowski, um, who he was supposed to fight someone and the guy, I, I guess made weight and then didn't fight because he felt extremely ill. So he, Zach Mikowski automatically got bumped up because it's, it's considered a win. And then uh, you have Valley Morad. I can't remember his first name. It's, it's like Valley, Valley Morad. I don't know. Russians mm-hmm. always have that like weird. The first name sounds exactly like the last name, but the mm-hmm. last name's like twice as long. But um, he's a, a multiple time Samba world champ. And he won his fight against another IMF champion. And he ended up fighting Zach Mikowski before this tournament was even happening. And he lost by a split decision. Zach Mikowski is a multiple fight. UFC veteran, this kid is mm-hmm. only like four and oh, yeah, at the time, you know. So it's like, damn, this Russian guy is pretty damn good. And now they're having a rematch April 1st as well. So you have April 1st, you have uh, Zach Mikowski versus Valley Morad, the rematch in that. You have Dustin Ortiz versus uh, Ali, which is going to be a phenomenal fight. It's the first mm-hmm. round on that side. And then my side as well is Sean Santella versus myself, which is a rematch. Um, whoever wins those two, you know, fights. Hopefully it's me versus either Ali or Dustin and we go from there. And then the other side is, you know, Valley Morad and Zach Mikowski and we'll see who face, you know, faces in the finals. But I believe that finals fight might not happen until November, December, just depends on COVID, you know, the mm-hmm. timetable of just all of us fighters, but it's, um, it's easily the biggest thing flyweights have ever received. You know, I don't know if there's going to be a grand prize of money or this or that, but the belt right now is enough for all of us. And that's something that, all of us want to achieve because one, it's a brand new promotion still, I think four or five years old promotion mm-hmm. and we're all getting paid. Well, we're all fighting the best of the best. And it's just one of those things, especially at this time where like the flyweight division is slowly coming back in the light, whoever wins this tournament, there's nothing but opportunity, you know, along the way with that. So it's, it's a huge thing. It's, it's a big, it's a big testing pool of going, whoever wins this, man, you're, you're literally one of the best in the world. Hundred percent, and so that fight's happening the twenty fifth, right? March twenty fifth is the first set, and then April first, yeah, the second so March, set, right? March twenty fifth is my fight, and we were mm-hmm. supposed to fight April first, but there was a a small confusion between um, Sean and his manager. His manager was just like, "Yeah, April first. and Sean's like, "Dude, you got to tell me these things. Like, I have things to do April first. and so that's why I'm out here early. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Dean Thomas is coaching Jillian and Tyron. I think March twenty seventh. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't going to be able to make it out to this date, April 1st, the attended date. And then, you know, that happened. It's like, you know what, man, because of COVID and travel restrictions, you don't know when I want to fight again, especially being a Middle Eastern promotion. You know, they, they celebrate Ramadan. So everyone here stops working. So that's not until the end of May. And it's like, oh, man, let me um, I can't wait another two months to fight. Like one, I need 100%. money Two, I need to advance my career. And three, that's all I've been doing is training. I'm away from my mother. I'm away from my brother, my family, everyone back at home in Chicago. I'm in Florida. So it's like, let me let me take this opportunity. And if I can have a Dagestani coach or one of the KHK guys coach me and quarter me, perfect. I'm cool with that. I sync with them really well. And let, let's have some fun. Cue the homecoming by Kanye background. No, just kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> how's the training been going? It's been well. I've actually been out here in Bahrain for about two and a half weeks. Um, you know, and training with just a whole different culture of guys, a lot of Dagestani guys, a lot of Bahraini Middle Eastern guys. And it's, you know, I, I used to train out here in 2015. So it's nice to be back out here, have some fun with KHK MMA and, uh, you know, it's just a different atmosphere. And it's, it's a good thing because it's all a positive atmosphere. You know, even though I'm, I've always been part of the team, even though I haven't trained here in a while. Mm-hmm. everyone's super welcoming they're they're super honorable they're like oh shorty Torres is here i'm just like oh, dude, i'm just another person yeah i just so happen to have a little more accolades so um I'm training with dagestani guys a lot of them were former world champs like myself mm-hmm. as amateurs so it gets a little competitive but it's like a really really proper competitiveness to where you know it's like oh i want to train with that guy because you know it's it's another world champ i want to see my skills and he's more experienced but then after we're able to coach each other and be like, oh, hey, man, I think this would work out well, you know, sparring against me or this or that. So it's real cool. 
Yeah, it sounds amazing because I mean, I can think back to some of the content you've even posted because you're definitely, it's not new territory for you either. I feel like you've made some pretty good connections out there. Some of the things I've seen you get up to, pretty interesting things. It's not your average type of excursion, you know, for the normal person. So it looks like you're having fun out there too. Yeah, man, I'm trying my best. You know, it's, it's a hard thing for me because I'm a very extroverted type of person. Mm-hmm. So I've literally been stuck. Like the hotel is beautiful. I think it's like a four or five star hotel. So I have this gigantic like suite to myself, which is dope. Like I got this, I got this couch that fits 10 people, but it's just myself, you know? So mm-hmm. um, like, it's dope. I'm being really, really taken care of out here. But for me, I need just people in general. I need a positive atmosphere. So when I go to this, you know, to these gyms and train or whatever the case may be, it's, it's, it's really cool how open it is, how everyone's just, again, super loving, super open. And just like, we want to hear what you have to say. And uh, I know one of the days the coach couldn't make it. So they're like, Shorty, you're, you're next in seniority. Like you, you teach. I'm like, okay, cool. And everyone's like, what is he going to teach? Like, what is he going to teach? So it's like, oh, dope. Everyone's uh, super respectful out here. That's pretty amazing. So, I mean, funny question, two-parter on a scale of one to 10, how much do you miss Jillian? And you know, how often do you tip FaceTime her? <laughs> um, you know, what's crazy is Jillian and I, honestly don't talk much outside of training jillian's very to herself Mm -hmm. um she's the complete opposite of me she's a very very big introvert besides Mm -hmm. sending memes to each other that's as communicative as we get you know um and and that's that's actually pretty much about it so i haven't spoken to her since i left so about two and a half weeks, I've spoken to Dean. I've spoken to David Evans. Mm-hmm. Jillian's just a person that she's, she's always again to herself. It's not that she doesn't like you or this or that. I'm her teammate. Mm-hmm. I'm one of her best friends, but she's just, that's the type of person she is. She has everything she needs at home. Mm-hmm. So unless she needs something, she doesn't really come to me, but um, you know, I've been, I've been trying my best to stay in contact with people. And luckily people have been contacting me, um, mm-hmm. which is always nice to randomly like, Oh, Hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. And especially being out here by myself, it's nice to just talk to somebody and, and have something to do instead of literally sleeping all day, which is what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the weight cut's looking pretty good. I, I follow the, the stories pretty well. So it's kind of nice to see what you're kind of getting up to. A lot of the sauna trips, things like that. So, I mean, it looks like you're putting the work too. I mean, talk about, you know, the fat guy inside, right? Both of us have that, you know, shared, uh, shared yeah. things. So it's pretty funny. It's, you know, for me, I'm usually very vocal on Instagram, but because of COVID regulations and like the restrictions they have here, you know, I kind of have to sneak my way into the sauna or workout room or this or that, because when I first got here, the hotel's like, sorry, man, workout room's closed. It's like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, workout room's closed, sauna's closed. I was like, you got a bunch of fighters coming in from different countries, travel restrictions, this, that, like, we need to make weight. They're like, we'll take out the furniture in your room you can put mats down i'm like i'm by myself what am i gonna do a bunch of jumping jacks i can always you know do it so many times a day you know and yeah. they're like oh well, you can use the hot bath i'm like yeah but i need to work out I can, i'm not gonna i'm not one of those you know home workout guys i need to get out go to a gym do this do that mm-hmm. and for me especially being a wrestler growing up all i know is running you know so it's mm-hmm. like running five elliptical this that so um as much as i'd like to put out like my training videos and who i'm training with it really isn't regulated out here right now because everything was shut down. Even, mm-hmm. even the gyms in general, um, you couldn't have a certain amount of people you had to train outside. It's kind of like, you know, eating at places like you couldn't have a capacity over 25% unless you were having them outside. So mm-hmm. it's pretty much the same thing. So uh, it's been a little bit of a, a secrecy here, but um, no, man, the, the hotel's finally opening up. The restrictions are slowly going down and there was about, I think like four of us in the sauna yesterday, which is nice because I'm usually in there by myself. And now it's like, oh, there's people. What's up, guys? Hey. You know? so, <laughs> and it, pass, it passes the time so much better uh, and so much faster when you just start communicating with someone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, yeah, like, let's dig a little deeper into that fight. Right. So I, I've watched that fight a couple of times. I really enjoyed because he's he's so experienced. Right. Like in terms of fights, grappling but you just move. It's like, it's kind of like an AV thing, but every time, like you just keep moving and you're always in the right place. And I felt like even if that was your first fight against him, you know, I think you learned a lot, even in the process of going that long with him. So, I mean, are you approaching this fight differently? Do you think you learned enough in there where, you know, doing what you do normally is going to be enough? Like, what are you thinking on those lines? 
he's he's a very respectable veteran that's a very very smart fighter and i can tell mm-hmm. i can tell you that when i talked to him after the fight i was like hey quick question how do you know i was gonna do this or how do you know i was gonna do mm-hmm. that and he goes like the, the little nuances he said i was just like huh you said it like that was so good that's mm-hmm. so smart like that makes you think like damn i hope i get to this level of expertise because technically when it comes to overall skill, I'm better than him. He might be solidifying like the ground and that's his game, but mm-hmm. well-roundedness, I have that game. So it's like, why, why am I going distance with you? Or why am I doing this? It's the experience. It's how smart he is. And, you know, he does enough to survive. He's not going for the finish. You know, if he, if he gets it for the submission, awesome, but he plays it smart. And that's really what it is. I wouldn't say he's not going for the finish, but you know, he plays it smart. If he has to hold a position to win, Hey man, a win's a win and you move on to the next round. So for me, I had a strategy going into that first fight, but I gave myself too much of a mental, you know, mental breakdown, gave myself too much anxiety going to that fight that I was kind of frozen stiff for the first two rounds. And then after that, I'm like, Oh, Hey, I'm awake. It's like, damn it. Now I gotta, now I gotta put in some work. But after the fight, there was a huge relief of, of stress off my shoulders. And I'm like, man, I could have done this two rounds ago. That would have been nice. But Mm-hmm. now i'm having fun and again having the positive atmosphere with the firm and everyone there it's mm-hmm. it's a huge huge thing for me especially mentally i'm a very very mental person if i'm not just like anything if i'm not motivated to do it i don't want to do it i'm not going to get up and do it if i'm motivated i don't care what it is i'm going to get up and do my job because that's something i'm excited to do and it's fun or whatever the case may be for me you know i'm having a lot of fun in this camp even though i'm, I'm by myself in this damn hotel I'm having a lot of fun in this camp. Everything's been great. So going and leading into this fight is extremely exciting because I have the up in this fight. You look at it from the last one. I won the last round. Yeah, cool. I won the last round and I'm up on that. But it's like I 10 aided you in that last round. So you already know if you don't finish me in the first round, this fight is going to get harder and harder for you because I'm just going to push the pace even harder from the first fight, mm-hmm. you know, and now I know your little nuances. Now I know your little ins and outs and I'm going in there with a positive mindset. So now my blinders aren't, Oh, let me just knock them out. My blinders are off. And I'm mm-hmm. completely now in a sense of kind of Kamaru Usman, Gilbert Burns, like slow, methodical. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't, but I'm going to wait for my moment mm-hmm. and keep on piecing you apart and breaking you until it finally happens. And that's, that should be my, my mindset. I did that in Titan. I did that, you know, in, in other promotions, I can do that again. So it's, it's something I'm planning to do and, and, you know, we'll see March 25th. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited for that fight. And like you said, you described it best. It really comes down to that discipline waiting for your moment. And I think it's going to be a really exciting fight, you know, especially if it stays standing for a little while. I know you're going to love that part of it. So uh, I'm pretty pumped for it. And like you said, the rest of those fights for that tournament are going to be really, really fire. So even if I can create some promotion out of this, I'm really looking forward to that. So I'm going to get that going. And you just mentioned uh, Tyron Woodley. So I just want to quickly touch on that too, because I, I did notice that he was kind of hanging out with the firm a little bit more than I'd remember him before. And, you know, he's going through a little bit of a tough uh, like rough patch in his career too. So how's that going having him around? You know, it's, it's always nice, especially with my last fight is we spent a lot of time in St. Louis, given the firm is there right now in St. Louis, helping Tyron, you know, sadly I can't be there, but you know, Tyron, he doesn't speak much, but when he does, it is wisdom, you know, and he's trying to help you, even though it doesn't sound like it, he's trying to help you. He's one of those guys that I remember when I was cutting weight for the last fight and it really mentally helped me throughout the last two weeks I remember doing the practice and then jumping, or I remember doing the practice, running outside, doing some shadow boxing, then jumping in the sauna. He goes, why are you worrying about the weight cut now? I was like, oh, I'm fat. You know, I want to, I want to get low. I want to get skinny now. He goes, all right, well, don't worry about it. Just do it. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, man, just do it. He goes, I've had horrible weight cuts where I've had to cut 20 pounds in one week. I've had great weight cuts where I've had to cut five pounds in one week. They both sucked. I was like, yeah, but five pounds, 20 pounds. He goes, but shorty, they both suck, right? I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I've had some great weight cuts and I've had some bad weight cuts. They both really suck. He goes, if they're going to suck anyways, but you're still going to do it, then why think about it now? Just do it. Don't overthink it. Don't go, oh, I didn't lose as much weight as I wanted to. Just do it. Because that's all I was I was thinking about was I was freaking out like, all right, cool. I can't stop the sweat. I need to keep on moving and do this, do that. He's like, if you have to get it all done fight week, I know you can do it. So don't stress yourself out. And there was a lot of anxiety that I was giving myself, you know, through all this net that, that messes up your weight cut, that messes up your emotions, that messes up the rest of your camp. So 
a lot of things that he says, you know, because the champion as well, you respect that. Mm-hmm. And he's been, you know, in, in the goods, the bads, the in-betweens in his career right now, obviously not the best, but it's the fact that he still has a lot of drive. And that's something I'm excited to see from him is, is a motivated Tyron Woodley again. You know, he's never lost three in a row and he's never lost three in a row against the top guys. You know, you got to look at it. And that's what people don't realize. It's like, he's not just losing fights. He's losing mm-hmm. fights against literally the top three in the world. They're all title contenders. You know, one of them being the champ now. So it's like, you didn't lose to just average Joes. You lost to literally the best of the best. You just got, you know, you just got outbeat. You got outskilled. It is what it is. But I think if he was there a little more mentally, it would have been maybe a different matchup. It could have been the same thing. Mm-hmm. But for him now fighting a guy who's on the come up and for Tyron, in a sense, on the way out, he needs this win. Whether the UFC keeps him or not, he needs his win for, for himself, not just his mm-hmm. resume, not for possibly a Bellator run or PFL or this or that. Uh, if the UFC decides to release him after this, it's the fact that he needs this for himself mentally because he was a champ and he will always be a champ in his mind. And he wants to prove that to himself again. So I'm, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, and it just sounds like the classic case of bad rap, right? You know, MMA fans can be a fickle bunch sometimes. And when you love the sport, I guess, old school mentality like I do, you kind of just love everyone for what they do for a living, right? And so would you say, because it sounds like he gets a lot of hate for being not so mentally tough, but this story you're telling me, it sounds like a completely different person, you know? You know, you look at it, I remember when he was fighting Kamar Usman, we were at Rufus Sport training. And one thing that I remember talking to Dean about, I was like, is he ready? And Dean is like, we'll see. And I was like, and, and the reason why he asked, he, he told me, like, why do you, he's like, he's like, why do you, why Dean do you sounds really funny, ready? man. <laughs> oh, Dean, Dean's honest, man. Yeah. Him, like, he'll just tell you. And that's yeah. something I really respect because it's hard yeah. to do. But I, I go to Dean and he goes, why do you ask that? I go, man, this is at the time when Tyron was coming out with a single and coming out with a CD. And that's all he was really doing was focusing on his rap career and then he had some things behind the scenes that he was dealing with that was just taking a lot of time. I remember, you know, he was kind of the chauffeur and he was driving us around everywhere. Everything he did outside of practice was a business call or on the phone or handling whatever. And it was all stressful. You can tell it was taking a you know toll on him. And it's like, damn, dude, like I, for me, I just want to focus on my fight. Like I'm already worried enough about my fight and the weight cut. You're worried about your fight, your weight cut you know, your, your relationship, your, your kids, your, your rap career, your money, your this and that. And it's like, that's stressful, you know, especially being the champ at the time that he was, he's at the hype of his career. And then he's also doing like sports analyst stuff. So he has to study, he has to do this. So it's like, he's not focused on the the main goal. And I, that's something I noticed. So when he lost to Kamar Usman, it wasn't the skill. I think, I think the best Kamar Usman versus the best Tyron Woodley, I think Tyron would beat him. I really do. But man, when you're so hindered with so many other things, you know, bothering you, it's it's gonna take a, a toll on your body. And I think that's that's what happened in that fight. And he just everyone could tell it's like he just wasn't himself. He wasn't even trying mm-hmm. to throw back. He was kind of taking the the ass kick in. That's what it was. And it almost kind of was the same with Gilbert Burns. And there was a little bit less with with Colby. But still, the fact was he, he was he's never been himself since. So. I think now he's 100% focused and, and a lot more motivated to get back to it, especially when you lose three. It's like, this ain't a fluke, man. It wasn't that like, oh, you just had a bad day. Now the second time you got beat up again. Now it's the third time uh, you got to do something. I think he's finally changed some, some gears in his head. Yeah. It sounds like the passion and maybe the love for it kind of comes back because you get to a point where you kind of decide, is this for you? I don't think MMA is something you just, either stain or get into, you know, just to try it out or see where it goes, you know, and, and it sounds like the, the reasons to do it are starting to come back to them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, again, it's a mindset, especially when you've mm-hmm. been in the career so long, you know, he's at the end of his career, you know, it's, it's, you don't want it to end. You never want it to end. Even for me, like I hate these weight cuts, man. And I, I want to shoot myself every single day when it comes to these weight cuts. But at the end of the day, when I'm in my forties and I can't fight anymore, I'm going to wish I could be able to do this again. I'd be like, I do a weight cut anytime just to, you know, step back in there. Um, it's, it's something we've been doing all of our lives, especially for him as well, growing up wrestling and fighting and all this stuff, you know, it's, it's all we know. It's all we really, really care about. And it's, I think he's now kind of towards the end of his career going, damn, this is possibly like my last hurrah. I got to make this worthwhile. 
Yeah, I mean that that kind of took an emo like for me that even sounds like an emotional ride too. I I, I wish him the very best because I'm excited to see Tyron fight every single time. And even when you think back to the prime, right? We just talked about when he's at his best. You know, he he was the best. He was the champion. So it's going to be interesting to see that come back. And you know, the UFC is not the end all be all. We both know that very well. And so this fight mm-hmm. is more of a catapult to seeing what is next for Tyron. I think, and and that's the most important question. You know, so I'm pretty excited to hear that too. Would you say that you have uh, aspirations pretty immediately after the Santella fight to go to 135? Or do you see yourself kind of defending that belt at 125? Because I know you, we kind of talked about that the weight cuts and moving up, things like that. Um, Man, even now, like I want to be at 35 and I want to mm-hmm. stay at 35 forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I talked to my man. I literally, I my manager, I always hit him up after this fight. I want to do 135. And Money-wise for me, doesn't make sense to fight 135 because now I'm in a bigger division. You know, where there's so many more people, so I'm a little more expendable. At flyweight, there are less guys, and there need there needs to be hype. And for me, I have hype around my name right now. Um, so it's like I have to make this worthwhile while I can. Hmm. And I'm just smaller, so competition would be technically a little easier at flyweight for me compared to bantamweight. These guys are a little bigger. They're a little stronger. Some of them are really, really fast, you know? Hmm. So it just depends on who I'm fighting and, and, and the skills that they offer. But you know, I know eventually it's going to happen. I just don't know when. Um, that depends on when my team lets me and kind of agrees that, hey, I think uh, 35 might be a little better for you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, right now I have goals. And especially being at 28, I still have the ability to make 125 at a decent pace. You know, so as long as I live my life a little more smart uh, and plan my camps a little more accordingly and follow the plan a little more accordingly, which is usually my problem as I cave in here and there. Mm-hmm. And then ends up like messing up the whole week of work that I had, which happens mm-hmm. all the time. Um, it's, it's the fact of, you know, I have the ability to accomplish big things right now, especially in this flyweight tournament. I can't just win this next match and be like, all right, I'm I'm out of this tournament. I'm just going to do 35. So yeah. I want to accomplish, you know, 125 and I want to be able to defend the belt, but, being able to do this tournament, it's like, do I have to defend the belt? You know what I mean? It's like, I'm literally fighting almost every guy in the division. It's three fights just to win the belt. So it's like, I've already proved myself when I get there. If I had to defend the belt and that's what Bray wants to see me do next. Awesome. Sure. Let's do it. But I want to do what I did in Titan is, is, you know, win the belt, defend it and then bump up, win the belt and defend that as well. And just see where my life, you know, takes me from there because, um, I know even in my thirties, there might be a time where 25 just makes sense and I might do it again. But mm. until then I'm trying to worry about now. And, and right now I'm in this flyweight tournament and I got to do you know, what flyweights need to do. And it's crazy because in talking to you so much, like you can hear the, the change, the maturity, the mental awareness, everything that's come from that. So this might be the probably the most semi-controversial controversial question I'll even ask you, but you've kind of chalked it up, right? You've been through the process of, oh, I care so much about, you know, the UFC, I can't believe this happened, you know, all that, getting over it, now finding new ways of just being, you know, just a better human for other people too, and helping them too with similar types of mental issues. And then now seeing a whole new wave of potential, really. And so when you think about it that way, you know, 135 versus going back to the UFC, what at this point kind of seems more important to Jose Shorty Torres? Is it that UFC contract if it comes at 125? Or is like, you know, if if the greatest opportunities are at 135 and I get to live my life happily, well, I'm going to take that. Where do you kind of sit now with going through all of this? You know, I feel like you've seen the ups and downs of both. You know, for me, it's about the respect when it comes to promotions. Braves really respect me well. And the UFC, you know, it's funny. I got, I got interviewed a couple of days ago and they're like, oh, has the UFC called you? I was like, no, why would they call me? They're like, oh, well, the flyweight division's back. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, I kind of left mm-hmm. on bad terms, you know, and mm-hmm. and I used the publicity in the negative way into a positive to sign with Brave, get good money. And, and, you know, Brave has treated me really, really well. So for me, I'm a businessman. Same thing when I was Titan, same thing when I was the UFC, doing all these things. Like, I rarely say no and you know respectably and i want to be able to do what's best for the promotion you know again i'm here march 25th without a coach in a sense you know i'm here by myself for a month you know leading up to my fight i want to be able to give the promotion everything that they're giving back in return in some sort of way you know so when it comes to brave right now i'm I'm focusing on now i'm not trying to and i've noticed this with goals in general especially during covid i've had certain goals 
And then that timeline is reached and I'm like, oh man, now I'm making myself depressed or anxiety and this, that and anxious and all that. It's like, why? I can still accomplish the goal. I just don't have to do it right now. It's still there. It's still reachable. I just, you know, right. I, I made a deadline that so happened that I could have controlled because of what was happening in the world. So with me, with the UFC, yeah, I want to do certain things, but stuff that wasn't my fault. I really couldn't control. You know, you look at the unfairness. I got cut after one fight. So I'm you look sure at Lewis Smoker. You know, you lost four straight fights and then gets released. And then like three months later, it's re-signed, you know? So it's like, there's a lot of things that don't make sense. It's very political. So for me, Brave is treating me really, really well. Um, and so I go where the respect goes. Yeah, the money is here as well, but I go where the respect goes. And I have goals to accomplish first and Brave. And that's both at 25 and 35. And then after that, we'll see where the world takes me next, whether it's UFC, Rise, and 1FC, or staying brave and do other, you know, fantastic things here. But until then... I have things to worry about now and I don't want to give myself in a sense pre-anxiety to things that might not happen for years to come. And that's the other thing you just touched on it best, right? It's about how you're treated as a fighter, because let's be real. You're not just fighting for them. You're doing a lot of other things for brave. Yeah. Like I'm, you're, I'm, you're I'm doing a, commentating, right? I'm doing a, yeah. I'm, I'm commentating. I'm doing other things. And, and, you know, again, it's stuff I wanted with other promotions that just couldn't get it. You know, Titan FC has given me the chance to to compete and commentate. Brave's done that as well. You know, so for me, I'm going to where the, the more benefits are. And obviously, I'm a businessman where I want to be part of the business, where I want to help you in return and make you guys grow. And, you know, Brave has allowed me to do that as well and fulfilling that, that need to help. And so, uh, you know, right now, again, I have everything I need. So I want to worry about today and then tomorrow's tomorrow's stuff. So I'll worry about that when it comes. Yeah, that's that's exactly how it should be. And I think we all learn that as we grow, as we grow and learn from the things that, you know, we experience, you know, you very much learn how to just be more positive and it gets you through things in a happier way. And I think that's what people kind of forget. You still hear fighters mm -hmm. talk about the experiences they go through having to meet certain expectations and all those things. And when you kind of bridge yourself with certain worries, depending on who you are, where you're at in life. Things seem to go a little bit better for you. And you can just talk about right now how much better, you know, things are going for you right now. And are you still doing the um, the, the videos while you're training, like the Team Shorty uh, training videos, training camps? Yeah. So the hard part about that is I have a, a an editing team that is extremely busy with filming like Titan and all these other things. So I sadly get put on the back burner. But, um, you know, it's, it's going to be taking a little break because – the hard part is, you know, I put a lot of time and effort into these videos, but then I only get 60 to hundred views every video. And I'm like, damn, I'm spending a lot of money to make this stuff. Is it mm -hmm. even worth it? You know, and I'm trying to help people in general. Um, but I think I have to revamp it, but you know, I, I need to have consistency just like a podcast, you know, you need to have consistency, not just content, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. being able to put that content up at certain times where people are like, Oh, Hey, new episodes up or this is that. So it's, it's trying to find a regular rhythm and that's something I'm still scrambling to get through. And that's something I have to talk to my editorial team and, and, or my media team and, and just figure things out from there. But, um, I do have maybe, I think at least two more videos coming up, but we'll, we'll, nice. we'll see, you know, what my team comes up with and then we just go from there. Yeah. Cause there was one, actually, I really enjoyed myself and it was, uh, it was a pretty young kid, a wrestler. And I think you were kind of sparring with him a little bit and, he, he just seems really promising and the things he was learning, the maturity he had. I mean, I feel like those are the things we'd want people to see from videos like that. Cause he just seemed to have a really good head on his shoulders. And he was learning from you quite a bit. And, that, and it's funny because I say the same thing. I'm like, Oh man. And I really, that's probably my favorite episode. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, uh, you know, I want to, I want to be able to like promote that more and do this, do that. But like people just don't want to transfer from Instagram to YouTube. They just don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I need to figure out different ways to get people to go from Instagram to YouTube instead of transferring all my YouTube stuff to Instagram, you know, and then, mm -hmm. then I make no money and that, that doesn't help my, my media team. Cause I, I make no money off of it. And mm -hmm. so far, especially with my views on YouTube, I make no money. So, mm -hmm. you know, I want to be able to make my media team more money than already what I pay them because they're the only reason I have the opportunity to do that. I don't walk around my camera myself. I wish I had the Same. ability to do that. Yeah nor do I have the time to do that. I'm just too busy with other stuff. I can't sit there and edit and film all day and do this and do that. So, you know, we'll figure things out and just go from there. It's beautiful. I can't wait for some product because I, I think those are really great. And it's those types of things. I, I mean, I, I think of it really corny, but it's like if I were to show my kid 
sides of MMA. I mean, am I going to be showing him those five round battles of Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald first, or am I going to be showing him, you know, fighters taking other kids into camp, teaching them how martial arts actually helps with things like discipline, calmness, mental fortitude, you know, like that's what I really appreciate mm-hmm. them. So I do hope that you keep those coming out because yeah, I mean, that's an episode that stuck with me personally and, you know, Definitely in terms of promotion, stuff like that. I mean, I think that's all things that you can learn. And I'm really excited, man. I hope you, I hope you do the more and stuff. And what about the uh, the mental awareness ones? I, I feel like that's a pretty recent one, right? Are you going to keep going with those? I appreciate it. Yeah, a third one just came out about addiction. Uh, the person I was talking to is was addicted to alcohol and trying to- Olivia, right? Trying, yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and trying to you know figure things out with that. And there's more. Sadly, we had, you know, it, that's the bad part about, you know, film in general is, Sometimes you get people film and sometimes they either lose it or, you know, the film is damaged or the mic isn't connected or this or that. So mm-hmm. we had one with Jillian about being an introvert. And sadly, that one ended up uh, being scrapped because the sound ended up just being way off. We had uh, mm-hmm. we had Hannah's baby there, kind of Hannah Goldie's child there messing yeah. with the mic and he accidentally unplugged it. So it's like you heard nothing. Uh, really, really that was, so, that was adorable and frustrating funniest. at the same time eh? like i know yeah. all about that life <laughs> it, was, it was probably the funniest episode ever because jillian doesn't laugh in in interviews like genuinely laugh and her and i again are best friends so we just giggled halfway through the interview it was really more of a dumb interview but it was it was a really really fun one when you talk about being such a big introvert and then out of nowhere she's laughing throughout half the interview and it's like dope i'm doing a good job as an interviewee and and now we're also bringing up different points of being vocal and being out there and doing different things but you know we'll, we'll probably get that one again very very soon and we'll see what happens next that's beautiful can't wait for it um, is there anything else you want to pitch talk about right now i mean by all means floor is yours um i think the only thing is and sadly it's not allowed for canadians or anyone outside the u.s yeah. but um, i asked you know, sorry my, <laughs> yeah, my, i'm sorry man my, my t-shirts are on sale at graphicsbar.com, which is the link in my bio on Instagram, Jose Shorty Torres. 100% of the proceeds of my t-shirt go to my Team Shorty Foundation, which you can also help support and donate at teamshorty.com. And again, it helps kids, teens, and adults in general. It doesn't matter the age, you know, help in, in staying inside the gym, get a different opportunity, father figures, mental or mental health, and all these different things. So guys, I appreciate them supporting. That's why I always say we can, we will together. We are Team Shorty. Absolute pleasure, man. And don't forget to like, subscribe, you know, hit up his page for all those amazing videos I brought up. I've seen them all. I vouch for them. They're phenomenal. You know, if you have kids and you appreciate the sport the way I do, those are the things you want to be showing them. So by all means, hit those up, hit that bell, find out when we release more content. Jose, always a pleasure. I look forward to touching base after the fight and best of luck, my man. I look forward to watching it. I appreciate it, man. Tune in March 25th at Brave. I think it's Brave CF TV, yes. Brave CF. I yes. TV. It's one of those things. But it's it's, it's Brave TV. That's the that's the that's the TV one that they promote. Yeah. And it'll be on my Instagram for people all over the world on how they can watch it because every region is different. But guys, I really appreciate all the support and just thank you so much, man. Can't wait. Oh uh, man, appreciate it. Can't wait to talk to you again. Take care, man.